Welcome to Finn's Fish Tales. These are my stories. I made them all up. Hello and welcome to the Patriots Part 6. This is the final conclusion of the six-part series, The Patriots. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And this particular episode, the conclusion, I think it wraps it up pretty well. And I really appreciate everybody sticking with it and listening to each episode as I released it. I'm currently fleshing out a new story. Uh, so I'm hoping to have something similar at a later date. And I'll keep everybody posted. And thanks to everybody in various countries around the world and all the radio support. And here is the conclusion of The Patriots. The Patriots, Part 6 Off the ferry and back in Dublin, the lads weave their way through the city. They are in a jubilant mood and feeling like they are capable of anything. They trade jokes and sing songs. It's early morning with little traffic except for the occasional delivery van going to or from Smithfield, or a newspaper van stopping outside the newsagents to drop off a bundle of newspapers. There's a quiet beauty to the city street in the early hours, where the only thing populating the footpaths and roads are the shadows born of the rising sun, resting themselves before the busy day ahead. As they drive through Mead Street, the street traders are just beginning to set out their stalls for the day, and the butcher is unfurling his shop canopy, aided by a long-hooked wooden pole. Nearing the depot, Leo notices the gates are already opened. He points them out to Eddie. O'Donnell must be in early. The van rattles into the yard and Leo parks it. Himself and Eddie head around to the rear and open the back doors for Connor. He gets out and stretches his legs and shakes himself as Leo and Eddie begin offloading the ladders. Hello, gents, says a voice emanating from their hut. As they look over, Shaughnessy's head appears. I said hello, he smiles. The lads are taken aback but try not to show it, as Shaughnessy comes out from the hut followed by O'Shea. So how did the trip go, he continues. He looks to O'Shea. I ask as a courtesy, Mr. O'Shea. We already know, don't we? We do, Mr. Shaughnessy. We do indeed. I didn't think you boys were bothered with us doing this, asks Leo. Well, things have a habit of changing, I'm afraid. Politics, says Shaughnessy. Politics, parts O'Shea. Would you all be so kind as to get into the back of the van? We're going to take you on a little trip, grins Shaughnessy. Ah, here, says Connor in an almost defiant yet apologetic tone. Manners, calls Shaughnessy. Then seemingly out of nowhere, a lumbering hulk appears behind Connor, holding some cloth sacks in his hand. Just then, O'Donnell rounds the corner, and as he reaches the depot gate, he witnesses the lad's predicament. He abruptly spins himself around and back into the direction he came without missing a step in his stride. A towering monument of a man reminiscent of Sid's terror block back in Shepherd's Bush. The lads look up at him. We call him Manners, says Shaughnessy. That way when we say we'll put Manners on you, we mean it. All literal like. We try to keep things light, don't we Mr O'Shea? That we do. A great laugh we do be having at times, he replies. Eddie recognises the man giant. Ah, Jesus, Brendan, how's your mother? he asks. Ah, Granddaddy, how's yourself? Not bad, apart from the obvious, he smiles back. Enough of the tea party, says Shaughnessy. Sound lad, Brendan, Eddie mumbles to Leo. Here, you have to put on these and get into the van, says Brendan as he passes the sacks to the lads. As Leo unfurls his, it reads, King Potatoes. 
Can we get in the van and then put them on? asks Connor. Brendan looks to Sean to see who gives him a nod of approval. Sure, go on, replies Brendan. The three lads clamber into the van. Connor and Eddie sit on one side and Leo on the other. They place the sacks over their heads and Brendan gets in and sits beside Leo. O'Shea shuts the van doors and both he and Shaughnessy get in up front. The lads feel the van bump out of the depot yard and sway as the van takes a turn. Where do we off to lads? asks Leo. Never you mind, says Shaughnessy. Smell a bidet is off this bag, says Connor. For some reason people from certain areas in Dublin call potatoes bidetits, as with bananas or bananits. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for this. After a few minutes, the pealing of church bells can be heard. Is that St. Patrick's Cathedral? asks Connor. You shut up, barks O'Shea from over his shoulder. The flow of adrenaline makes the lads titter a little from beneath their hoods. Connor continues. Here, are we near the liberties? Brendan looks concerned and speaks slowly. Ah, come on, lads. It's my first job with these. Would you not act scared? No bother, Brendan, says Eddie. Yeah, I can see Christchurch to the netting in me bedata sack, says Connor laughing, but his laugh is cut short by a jab in his ribs from Eddie's elbow. Connor decides to play along to help Brendan out. Ah, Jesus, I'm rattling I am, he says in a loud Bahami manner. Jesus, mumbles Leo, unimpressed at Connor's theatrical effort. Their journey takes a lot of turns, leading Leo to believe that they haven't gone very far. Suddenly the van pulls slightly to the left and stops. The lads can hear the passenger side door open and close. Then what sounds like a big metal gate shunt open with a long prolonged strain of sheet metal wavering a little. It's a tall gate, but not a sturdy one. The van starts to move again as they feel it bump over the threshold and inside of what they presume to be a yard. It stops again and the engine is turned off. Another van door opens and closes and the lads can hear a muffled conversation outside. Suddenly there are two rapid knocks on the side of the van and the back door swings open. O'Shea and Brendan unload the boards containing the paintings along with the one wrapped in a curtain which Connor had taken. Just Leo, says Shaughnessy as Brendan helps them out of the van. Where you taken him? asks a concerned Eddie. Never you mind, barks Shaughnessy. As Leo is led away, Brendan sticks his head in the van and whispers, he'll be grand. Leo feels his arm link sternly as he is jostled along for a number of steps. He feels the air around him go from moving fresh air to dead and damp as he enters a building of some kind. By the echo of his footfalls, he believes it to be a mid-sized room, certainly not a warehouse or factory floor. He is gruffly seated in a chair and the sack whipped off his head. He is facing a bright frosted glass window, wired with meshing, which doesn't help him as he tries to regain his focus. He is also facing a desk and can make out a human form seated on the other side, facing him. As the blurs become sharpened, he recognises the familiar face. It's Bumpy, the kindly regular he knows from the pub. How are you, Leo? He smiles as Shaughnessy leaves them to talk. Leo is confused. In the background he can hear a movement, like Brendan and O'Shea stacking the paintings. What are you doing here? Are you involved with these? He asks in an agitated manner as he tries to take it all in. Calm yourself. Look, you are bound to raise a fuss with your little trip across the water. It's my job to manage our various comings and goings, while not drawing too much attention. We got the paintings. We got away with it, says Leo. You did great and fair play, says Bumpy. The thing is, there's a lot of different things at play here. We can't be seen to be asleep on the job. Before you know it, we'll have all kinds of chancers running around and pulling stunts. Well, what now? asks Leo. 
Well, we'll need to take the paintings off your hands for one thing. And what, sell them? Snaps Leo. That's no longer your concern, Leo. Just be glad there's an end to it and nobody got into any real bother. Against his better judgement, Leo cannot let it lie. We didn't do this for the money. We did it for a bit of pride. National pride. It might sound a bit corny, but I'm sick of us being lorded over. And besides, they are our paintings. The people's. Not some British toffs playthings. I get it, Leo. I really do. Unfortunately, I'm merely a small cog. Best you put all this behind you and go about your business. Leo makes one last impassioned pitch. Listen, we grow up learning in history class how we've been the underdogs in our own country for hundreds of years. Now that we have the radio and the telly, we've to listen to the sneers and jibes from the same sort, even among our own, who look down on the ordinary working man and woman like being less well off or doing a decent day's work is something to be embarrassed by. I wanted us to be heard, to fight back, not in a violent way, just to stick two fingers up at them all. Let them know that we're here and not for walking on. I get you, Leo. Jesus knows I do. It's not my call. Pumpy gestures to Shaughnessy, who leads Leo back outside and puts the sack back over his head as he helps him into the van. That you, Leo? asks Eddie. It's me, he says. Everything all right? Grand, says Leo as he seats himself on the wheel rim. All is quiet in the back as the van doors are closed and they are driven back to the depot. As Shaughnessy opens the back doors, the lads remove their hoods. Now you keep your noses clean, he says as the lads step out of the van and close the doors behind them. It's raining slightly. That misty Irish rain that you more walk into to get wet as it tends to hang in the air rather than fall. I'll put the kettle on, says Connor wanting to break the tension as Shaughnessy makes his way out of the yard. The next day the lads are sat in Grogan's. Nobody has seen or heard from O'Donnell in the last few days, says Eddie. Asher, he'll turn up at some stage, says Leo in a somewhat sombre tone. Connor sees Roisin at the far end of the bar smiling over at him. Well, it was a good little adventure anyway. I'll talk to you at HQ in the morning, he says as he gets up from the table. It was a good little adventure, confirms Eddie. It was, says Leo, as Eddie rolls up his newspaper in readying to leave. Leo takes the last swig from his pint and places it back on the table before shouldering on his coat. As they step up from the table, they nod to Shay the barman, who nods back as he wipes down the counter for a large damp shaggy flannel. Just as they reach the door, Shay calls back, Leo. Leo turns back and walks over to him as Eddie continues outside. Bumpy left you this behind the bar, says Shay, as he produces an item wrapped in a curtain and hands it to Leo. Leo is a little bemused as he tucks it under his arm. The next morning as dawn breaks, Bundles of newspapers dropped from the back of delivery vans all throughout the city. Art robbery in London. Irish artwork stolen from British gallery. Stolen works appear on gallery steps. Home. Irish artwork returns. Read the various headlines. At the depot, the lads are in the hut sipping tea as they excitedly listen to the news on the radio. Various works by a number of Irish artists were left on the steps of the National Gallery Merrion Square. They are believed to be the same paintings stolen from the portrait gallery in London. Another voice speaks. We are delighted to have these long-contested works returned. While we don't condone the manner in which they were liberated, we do welcome them nonetheless. Leo reaches over and turns off the radio with a click. Jesus, says Connor, beaming. I can't believe Bumpy's boys did the right thing in the end, says Eddie. He did fair play, says Leo. It's a pity nobody will ever know it was us, adds Connor. 
Not the kind of thing you want broadcast, Connor, says Eddie. You're right, of course, he says as he raises his team mug to cheer with the lads. Well, we still have ourselves, he says, as all three look to the wall at the end of the hut where the painting The Grey Lady hangs. Connor clears his throat and says, To Bridie, as they all clink their mugs and cheer. To Bridie! In St. Stephen's Green, Mr. Pierce sits in his usual spot, in neatly pressed suit and clutching a bunch of flowers, with his hat seated beside him. He cranes up his neck, trying to look over the heads of a group of school children who have entered through the gate. He lowers his head again in disappointment and continues to scan the faces of any lady who enters. Just then he senses something and turns his head around. There stands his lady. She glows as she smiles. Mr. Pierce tentatively stands up from the bench and hands her the flowers. She accepts them with a smile that lights up his very being. 